Prayer has to be one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life. Prayer, even though we're familiar with the term and with the words, is an awesome privilege that you and I have. To think that we as finite beings have the privilege, have the opportunity to talk with the infinite God. I don't think we ponder that enough. That we whose lives are like a mist have the privilege of communicating with the God who has always existed. He has existed from eternity past to eternity future. And you and I can talk with him. You and I can cry out to him. To the God who spoke and the world came into existence. The the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present at the same time, we have the privilege of going to him in prayer. And that awesome responsibility, that awesome privilege should move us and motivate us to pray. But you know and I know that oftentimes we don't pray as often as we should, that we don't take advantage of the privilege of prayer. And God knows that. And that's why the New Testament is filled with various commands and exhortation that we should pray. You cannot read the New Testament and come away with the idea that we're never commanded to pray. We are. Uh, We are exhorted to pray. We are given examples to pray. But just being told to pray is not sufficient. Just being given that command is not enough. The disciples knew that they should pray, but it was the example of the Lord Jesus Christ that drove one of the disciples to ask Jesus a question. Jesus, or make the request, Jesus, teach us to pray. And our Lord responded, not just simply with words, but words that expand and help us to understand what prayer is all about. The Apostle Paul, great man of prayer. We know he wrote many books in the New Testament, But one of the things that stick out about Paul is that he cried out to God in prayer. And particularly, he prayed for other Christians. And so when you look at Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 and Philippians 1 and Colossians 1, we have some of his prayers. They're there for us to examine, to study, and to model. Paul was a man of prayer, and he's a person that we could go to and say, Paul, teach us to pray. Well, there's another individual in the Bible that I think stands out as a person of prayer. A person like the Lord Jesus Christ. A person like Paul. And that's the writer of Psalm 119. You know, we don't know who he actually is. But there's a lot that we do know about him. We do know that he loved God, he loved the word of God, he loved the ways of God. 
And when you look at this psalm of 176 verses, it really is a long prayer to God in some ways. He is talking to God. He is communing with God. He is addressing God. But when you look at this, uh, these 176 verses in particular, there are different stanzas that highlight prayer. And so I want us to look at one of those stanzas, verses 33 through 40, from the perspective of asking the psalmist to teach us to pray. The, the best people who can instruct us and teach us on how to pray are those who are committed to prayer themselves. And there's no questioning about it. Read these 176 verses, and here's a man who cries out to God in prayer. Not just when he's on the mountaintop, but when he's in the shadow, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. In the highs and in the lows, and in between, he is a man of prayer. And so I want us to learn from him. I want the psalmist to teach us about prayer, because all of us can improve in our prayer lives. I think we can all say amen to that. We can improve in our prayer lives, that none of us have reached the point where we cannot improve as those who cry out to God in prayer. So I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to pound the Bible over your head. But like you, I want us to learn how to pray. And I believe verses 33 through 40 will help us along those lines. The psalmist teaches us in these verses to pray habitually. He tutors us to cry out to God as a way of life. Prayer should be a way of life for us as the people of God. Before there was a 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says, pray without ceasing. Before there was an Ephesians 6.18 that says, pray at all times. Before there was Luke 18.1, where Jesus said men ought to pray. There was the psalmist. Before those verses ever came into existence, here was a man who prayed regularly and routinely and habitually. Prayer was a vital part of his life. In these verses, the psalmist utters Nine different prayers. You should be astonished and amazed by that. Because if you listen to our prayers, if we were to pray nine different prayers, make nine different requests, we would need several books to get our prayers out. But here is a man who prays nine different prayers in the matter of eight verses. So in each verse, there is a prayer to God. And in fact, in verse 37, there are two prayers. Praying was a part of his life. In fact, there's another stanza in verses 73 through 80 where the psalmist, again, focuses in on prayer. He basically begins many of his prayers 
with the word may. And what he's doing is he's saying, God, may you do this. This is my wish. This is my desire that you would do these different things, God. And if you were to look at all 176 verses, what you would find is here's a man who rises before dawn to pray. He prays at midnight. He prays during the night watches. He, he, he prays when he's in trouble. He praises God seven times a day. So, so here's a man whose life is marked by prayer. Prayer was a way of life for him. And my friends, that is the message for you and for me. That is what we need to be taught, that we must pray as a way of life, not just in difficult times, not just in hard times, but in all times. We are to be a praying people. We are to be praying individuals. If you want the psalmist to teach you about prayer, he wants you to know, he wants you to understand that you are to pray habitually. You are to pray regularly. You are to pray as a way of life. The psalmist also teaches us to pray humbly and dependently. His life serves as a model that humility and trust mark genuine prayer. The arrogant, the autonomous, they don't pray. If you're proud, if you're self-sufficient, if you have been pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, you'll find that you won't be calling on God in prayer. We need to learn that lesson, that humble people, people of humility are the ones who come to God in prayer. People who are in dependence upon God, who need his help, they are the ones who cry out to God. One of the great hindrances to prayer will be our pride, our arrogance. The, the idea that we think we can do it on our own. And the psalmist's life reveals that there needs to be humility. There needs to be trust if you're going to pray and cry out to God. You see, the psalmist is not a self-made man. He, he cannot say, I did it my way. The psalmist is a God-made man. Whatever he has accomplished in life, whatever he, he, he has risen to in life, it's because God has been his help. God has been his strength. God has been the one who has enabled him. And so the psalmist teaches us 
that the snooty and the self-sufficient, they have no place for prayer. Whether you realize it or not, if you're not praying, you are basically saying that you can do it all on your own. But the psalmist was not in that position. The avalanche of prayers requests that he makes in our stanza is evidence, it's proof of his humility. He's a man in desperate need of God. The, the fact that in every verse he's crying out to God, that the fact that he's making these pleas, he's, no, that he's begging, he's petitioning, says, God, I need you. I, I can't make it on my own. He, he's a man of humility. And not only a man of humility, but he's a man of dependence. He depends upon God so, so that if, if his life is going to be anything at all, it will be a result of God moving and working in his life. And, and you don't really see it in your English Bibles, but each one of these requests, you could add the word cause before the request. And so when it says in verse 33, teach me the way of thy statue, we could really translate that, cause me to learn the way of thy statutes. When the psalmist says in verse 34, give me understanding, we could render that, cause me to understand. God, I need you to act. I need you to move. I need you to do something. I'm pleading with you. I'm imploring you. I'm calling out to you. Cause me, God, to walk down the path of your commandments. If you don't do it, there is no one else who can do it. I won't be able to do it on my own. And so he's dependent upon God. Every one of these requests, basically, in verses 33 through 39, has the idea of God caused this to happen. Cause my heart to be inclined to your testimony. Cause my eyes to turn away from looking at vanity. God, I come to you. In humility, I come to you dependent upon you. I trust you and I trust you alone. Do you pray humbly and dependently? You might wonder, how can I tell if I'm praying from a position of humility? Many times our posture in prayer reflects whether or not we come to God in humility. And I realize that the Bible doesn't prescribe one posture for prayer. Now, I realize you can stand lifting up hands. You can be prostrate on the ground. The Bible speaks of a number of postures of prayer. But, but I do believe that 
We got to make sure that our posture prayer is biblical, so to speak, and, and doesn't communicate the wrong thing about our approach to God. I mean, if you have sleep, one leg in the bed, the other leg outside of the bed, and you're crying out to God in prayer, I think you know what that communicates. Try talking to your mate that way, carrying on a conversation, and you're half asleep, and you want your mate to listen to you. I think bodily posture matters. I'm not saying that you have to have your head always bowed. I'm not saying that you have to look up to heaven. I'm not saying you have to lift up your hand. But I do say that our posture communicates something. I mean, if, if, if we can't be uncomfortable just a second when we call out to God in prayer, maybe that is saying something about our humility. That we really don't come to God with a lowliness of mind. It doesn't hurt sometimes to get on your knees and pray. Amen, lights and walls and tables and chairs. It doesn't hurt. There are times where we need to get on our knees. Uh, the, the, the writer of the New Testament, James, you know what they used to call him? Not simply James, the half-brother of the Lord, or James, the apostle. They used to call him camel knees. Why? Because he spent so much time in prayer that his knees became callous. We know what part of our body becomes callous. It ain't our knees. And so... Humility, when we pray, pray humbly, pray dependently, pray as if this prayer and this prayer alone, I need answer. And if you don't answer God, I can't function, I can't exist. Prayer is not just a ritual. Prayer is not just routine. And that's the danger of Matthew 6 and Luke 11, is that we just utter the words with our hearts being far away from God. The psalmist teaches us to pray concisely and precisely. There should be an economy of words when it comes to our prayers. And there ought to be a sense of clarity in what we're praying. And I'm not just talking about public prayer. I'm talking about in our times alone with God. We don't have to pray long-winded prayers. Our prayers don't have to be 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. They, they, they might be, but if it's just one prayer that long, something might be wrong. When you look at the prayers in Scripture, most of them can be prayed in a minute or less. You look at Paul's profound prayers, his impactful prayers, his amazing prayers, yet they're concise. They're to the point. You know what he's asking for. You know what he's crying out for God to do. 
Our prayers need to be concise. We shouldn't be rambling. We shouldn't just be saying things. And there's no goal, there's no intent. When you look at the psalmist, his prayers were concise. His prayers were clear and precise. Remember, in these verses, 33 through 40, nine different prayer requests. Nine different prayer requests in a span of eight verses. So if his prayer requests were not concise and precise, we would be still reading his prayer requests. But they're to the point. Look at what he says. Verse 33, teach me the way of thy statutes. That's his prayer request. Verse 34, give me understanding. Verse 35, make me walk. Verse 36, incline my heart. Verse 37, turn away my eyes. Verse 38, establish thy word. Verse 39, turn away my reproach. Verse 40, at the very end, revive me. That took me less than a minute to state his prayers. And so we need to learn that from the psalmist. Don't get deluded and deceived into thinking that prayers have to be long, long, and longer. You don't have to pray long. Learn to pray concise prayers. Learn to pray prayers that are to the point. But also, our prayers need to be precise. What are you aiming for? What are you asking God to do? And I think what helps us here is more than just simply being very general, but but being very particular. There are particular things that the psalmist wanted God to do in his life. And when he came to his God and cried out to his God, saying, God, this is what I need. This is what I need you to do. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray general prayers. Like, God, bless so-and-so. Or God, help. God, save. But typically, those kind of requests have a context. When the psalmist says, God, save me, he's speaking in the context where he needs deliverance. So God knows what he's asking. And let's not forget that God knows what we need before we ask. So he's not impressed by how we word our prayers. God wants to know that our prayers come from the heart. God wants our prayers to be concise and precise. Let me just say this, my friends. I know some of you are struggle with praying before other Christians because you've heard prayers throughout the years that seem to be flowery, that seem to be long, long-winded, and go all over the world. And you know how it is. Some people aren't praying and preaching or teaching. 
or, or trying to get a response. But, but we need to be concise. We need to be precise. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, had some words to say about praying. And he warned about praying in order to be seen by men. Hopefully, if you're involved in public prayer or in prayer in a small group, hopefully your response ought to be that you're just crying out to God and not that you want to hear from other, oh, that was a great prayer. That should not be our goal. We're not trying to impress people with our prayers. And Jesus says, you make sure. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees. They love to be seen by men. They love to pray prayers where they're commended and patted on the back. Jesus says, make sure you understand that you don't pray in order to be seen by others. And that ought to be true, whether it's in private or in public. And Jesus also said in that same context, in the Sermon on the Mount, he also pointed out that you should not be involved in meaningless repetition. That is, thinking that you'll be heard because of your many words. Do you think God hears you? Because you prayed a long prayer instead of a short prayer? Do you think that God hears you because you're being concise and to the point he won't hear you? Understand that God wants us to pray concisely and precisely. And it's interesting when he gives this warning about prayer, when he gives this warning about meaningless repetition, about being seen by men, what follows on the heels of that is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a short, simple prayer. It gets right to the point. The psalmist also teaches us to pray holistically. And when I say that, that's not an idea that we pray for the physical and spiritual well-being of ourselves. That's fine. We've seen that we should be praying to meet our physical needs. You all are making it hard for me to preach. <laughs> so let's just pause and let everybody come in. All right. <laughs> Glad I'm not praying. It's hard enough to preach. Okay. So those just joining us, we are in Psalm 119. Verses 33 through 40. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with us to that portion of Scripture. And we're asking the psalmist to teach us to pray. And thus far, we've seen that the psalmist has said, pray 
habitually, pray humbly and independently. I mean, dependently and pray concisely and precisely. But the fourth thing that the psalmist points out in our text is that we are to pray holistically. And by holistic, it means that our prayers to be more than just praying for our physical well-being and our spiritual well-being. It's more than that. To pray holistically means that you're praying for every area of your life. Every area, particularly of your spiritual life. When you look back at these verses, verses 33 through 40, the psalmist prays in verse 33 and 34 for his mind. He wants an informed mind. In verse 35, he prays for his feet. He wants directed feet. In verse 36, he prays for his heart. He wants a loyal heart. In verse 37, he prays for his eyes. He wants pure eyes. In verses 38 through 40, he prays for his emotions. So he's praying for every part of his life. He's saying, God, do a work when it comes to my thinking. Do a work when it comes to my feet, where they go. Do a work in my life when it comes to my emotions, my heart, my eyes. And and, and that's an area that we really should be praying for. We should be praying for our eyes. We should be crying out to God and saying, God, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity, looking at that which is vain. In a world and in a society that emphasizes our eyes and tries to grab attention through our eye gate, how often do we as young people or as old people pray with regards to our eyes? How often do we pray for pure eyes? God, give me pure eyes. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. There's so much in our world to capture our eyes. And we need to understand that our prayers need to be holistic. That we need to be praying for every part of our being. Our eyes, our mind, our words, our hearts, our feet, and the list goes on and on. Holistic praying basically recognizes the fact that we're called to live holy lives in every area of our life. Peter said it well. He charged and commanded his readers, be holy in every area of your life. He's calling us to universal holiness. That when it comes to my thoughts, I'm to be holy. When it comes to my words, I'm to be holy. When it comes to my deeds, I'm to be holy. And so holistic praying understands that. It's taking every part of your being and saying, God, use every member of my body as an instrument in your hands for your glory and for your 
honor. Two more things. Let me quickly cover those. The psalmist teaches us to pray scripturally. His prayers that he prays are informed by God's word. The prayers that he prays are related to God's word. Here's a man whose life is saturated with the word of God. And because of that, the the prayers, the requests, the petitions that come from his life reflect scripture or have to do with scripture. One of the best things we can do in our prayer life is to pray the word of God, to use the word of God to formulate the prayers that we cry out to God. And if you go through these verses, that's what he's doing. He's saying, God, teach me. Teach you what, Psalmist? Teach me the way of thy statutes. The, the, the way ordained by your word. Give me understanding. Understanding of what? Give me understanding of thy law that I may observe it and keep it with all of my heart. Make me walk. Where? Down the path of your commandments. Incline my heart to what? Not to dishonest gain, but to thy ordinances and commandments and testimonies. Do you see every time he's praying, he's relating it or connecting it to the word of God. And so we are to pray scripturally. We are to pray through the word of God as our guide and as our manual. The best prayers that we can be praying are informed and are related to the word of God. And let me add this last thing that the psalmist teaches us. The psalmist teaches us to pray reverently. Reverently. This is an important aspect of prayer. How we address God and how we approach God in prayer. I've said it before. It's blasphemous to refer to God as the man upstairs. It is actually, it's blasphemous. God is not a man. He is not like us. No one is like our God. And he's not upstairs. The Bible says that Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. That's how great, that's how marvelous, that's how mighty our God is. And when we come to God in prayer, when we approach him in prayer, when we address God in prayer, it ought to be from a heart that reverences him, that respects him. I know how upset I get when somebody wants to call me old man. I can't fight, but I'm ready to fight. But but how disrespectful it is to come to God 
and calling him out of his name and not reflecting his character. And so when the psalmist prays, yes, he's concise, he's pointed. He's praying holistic prayer for every part of his life. But when he addresses God, he addresses God as Lord. That's how it starts off in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord. He's viewing God as the I am that I am in Exodus 3.14. The self-existent God. He doesn't see God as some little, tall, small, tiny person. God is a great and awesome God. And when he says, Lord, God is a covenant-keeping God. Oh, Lord. Now, we've seen when Jesus taught on prayer that we can address God as Father. According to Luke, according to Matthew, Heavenly Father. No, so, so there's nothing wrong to refer to God as Father, as the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with referring to him as Lord, recognizing his sovereignty, recognizing that he is the self-existent one. But to call him the man upstairs, or to not even call him along any of his biblical terms or names, that is not reverence of God. And the psalmist shows his reverence for God in prayer by how he identifies himself. In verse 38, he says, establish thy word to thy servant. God, your master. God, your Lord. I'm nothing more than a servant. I'm nothing more than a slave. God, you're not my butler. God, you're not the one who takes orders from me. But God, you're my superior. And as I come to you in prayer, I come as the inferior one. I humble myself. I bow my knee before you as my master. Let's make sure that we don't get it twisted or wrong when we pray, that there's somehow, some way, God is my puppet, that God is to move at my request, etc. The psalmist referred to God as Lord, and he referred to himself as servant. And so in this mini-series on prayer, we've looked at some passages that teach us what Jesus says about prayer, what Paul says about prayer, and what the psalmist says about prayer. And the goal, the hope, is just that our prayer lives will improve. When you pray, make prayer a part of your life. Prayer should not be optional. Prayer prayer should not be something you do only on Sundays or only when you are in trouble. Prayer should be habitual. Pray humbly and dependently. 
And you can reflect your humility in your bodily posture, but make sure, more importantly, that your heart is bowing before God as you cry out to him in prayer. And come to him as one who's dependent and reliant upon God. That if he doesn't answer your request, you won't be able to make it and function. Make sure your prayers are concise and precise. You don't have to pray long-winded prayers made up of vain repetition, words that don't really mean anything. Jesus said that's a waste of time. Don't be praying, so to speak, to impress others. Make sure you're not even trying to impress God. In your prayer closet, when it's just you and God, don't, don't try to butter him up and talk about how wonderful he is and, and you don't believe that in your heart. Make sure you pray holistically. Don't be just a one prayer Christian. Pray for your mind. Pray for your, your feet, the, the paths that you take. Pray for your heart, that it will be inclined to the word of God and not to the things of this world. Pray for your eyes. Pray for your emotions. Some of us are a wreck emotionally. We're discouraged. We doubt. And the psalmist doesn't mind praying for his emotion. He says in verse 38, God, I'm doubting. Establish your word to me. Confirm it to me. He says in verse 39, he speaks of his dread, his reproach. Take it away from me, God. He prays for his desire. In verse 40, he says, I long for your word, but I need you to revive me. God can handle your emotions and you need to be praying for your emotions day in and day out. Pray scripturally. Take this book, take the prayers of the psalmist and pray them for yourself. And when you pray, recognize and understand that you're not praying to the man upstairs. You're praying to the God of heaven and earth the one that you come to as servant. Psalmist, teach us to pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture that reveals the prayer life of the psalmist. And we pray that we will learn the lessons from his life and incorporate them into our own life so that we are praying habitually, that we are praying humbly and dependently, that we are praying concise and precisely. Father, we need you to work in our life. Help us to pray holistically for every area of our life and help us to pray in light of your word and according to your word. And Father, help us to pray reverently, acknowledging you as Lord, as sovereign one, as master. And we are your children 
We are your servants. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.